Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. I must confess that when I hear the word saint, I begin to check out. It's not because of the rich Christian traditions that venerate the heroes of our faith throughout the ages. No, that doesn't bother me. I'm talking about being intimidated by the individuals and their personalities who have made so many contributions to our world. They seem like giants that I cannot begin to imagine what it would look like to live a life like theirs. I'm talking about saints like Martin Luther King Jr., a Baptist pastor, of course, one who looked around and was not content with what he saw and was willing to speak truth and to bring about change, not with violence, for we know that's how change typically is brought about in our world. No, he brought about and initiated and championed change through Christian values and principles of love for one's enemy, praying for those who persecute them, of peace, of shalom. It's hard for me to not trip over the word saint when there on the mall in Washington, D.C., to see his image chiseled out of granite this monument of a man of all that he did and said and lived out when I think about saints I I think about Mother Teresa of the nun beautiful older woman bent over with age in Calcutta, India and about how Some of my own classmates from seminary went and learned that she wasn't known as Mother Teresa. She was simply known as Mother because that's what she was to the poor and to the children that she raised and encouraged and nurtured in such small and humble ways. She changed the world in which she found herself. Can't help but get over her saintly contribution. Or also of of saints like Harriet Tubman. This past fall, I had the chance to visit the National Museum of African American History and Culture. I was deeply moved at the witness and the courage and the strength of so many individuals, including people like Harriet Tubman, once an enslaved person, who, once, who then, when found herself free, would go back 13 times to help liberate her family and friends. And when that wasn't enough, help them to get to other places of freedom like Canada at the time. She would later champion the rights of women. She was a hero of our faith. I got to see her Bible worn from years of reading and of marking, got to see her hymnal about how her faith 
was the foundation for all that she did as a modern-day Moses. So you'll forgive me if I don't get tripped up over Paul's use of the word a saint. I mean, if this is what it means or is supposed to look like in our lives for us to be saints, yeah, that's not happening, we think. We begin to wonder if there are different tiers and levels of being a follower of Jesus, almost like rec league softball, and then junior varsity softball, and then varsity softball, and then college softball, Olympic level softball. I think we think about our faith that way, don't we? And many of us, if we're honest, are content with this entry level, I can hold a ball and that's enough. We think that to be a saint is up here. So the the bar that we have to cross is one of just assent to Jesus' existence. Y'all, Paul tells us here and to the church in Corinth that that's not going to cut it. In the beginning of his letter, he reminds them who they are. That's important because if they don't know who they are, they can't know how to live a life of that and to that to which they are called, he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He says it very simply. We seek to be saintly because we are called to be saints. It's not extracurricular. Neither God nor you should be content with just showing up in faith. To be a person of faith means that we live a life that is set apart. It's the expectation of discipleship. It is not enough to simply say yes to Jesus. We must also live a life of saying yes to Jesus. To live a life that's different from the world around us. By Paul's definition, a saint is someone who finds their identity in Jesus. To find an identity in Jesus' life and his teachings, and his ministry. Last Sunday, we commemorated Jesus' own baptism. For us, an acknowledgement of his own obedience to the Father. Jesus begins his public ministry in obedience, doing that which the Father required of him. It's not enough for us to celebrate the Christ child who looks sweet but whose words may not be sweet in time. It's one thing to follow the Christ child. It's another to follow the Jesus that has something to say about your life and the way you're living it. A saint is someone who finds their identity in Jesus, in obedience, in participation with Christ. If you flip back through your Old Testament, 
the Levitical law talks about those who are saints as those who are set apart. Set apart for God. Being a saint means being sanctified. It means being different. It means being different than your other co-workers. It means dif- being different than those you are following on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It means responding to the world in different ways than what is popular or acceptable. And in that way, being saintly feels more accessible. Being a follower of Jesus means being saintly because it means you are different. And different is exactly what we need. Myron Morris tells a story of a little boy whose sister was deathly ill. The boy was told by the doctor that the only thing they could do for his dying sister was for him to give his blood to her. He had already experienced and overcome the illness that she had. And the only thing that would matter, they believed, was for him to to have a blood transfusion. Their blood type was very rare, and this was their only last best chance. And when the doctor said, Son, will you give your blood for your sister? The boy got very quiet and still, except for his lip that began to tremble. And he looked up at the doctor and said, Yes, I'll give my blood for my sister. So they took the two children, put them in the operating room together. Mary, his sister, was now well, pale, close to death, her breathing shallow. Her brother didn't make a sound, just looked at her and smiled, laid down on a bed beside her, and they began the blood transfusion. In time, the color began to come back to his sister. And when the procedure was nearly over, The little boy looked over at the doctor and said, So doctor, when is it that I die? For the little boy had thought that in giving his blood to his sister, he was giving his life. Followers of Jesus are called to be different from the world that we find ourselves But we are more than just different. We are more than just set apart. We're more than just unique. We're more than just a people who has different rhythms in life than others. No, we are powerful. Our power comes from the gift that each of us has received at our baptism. By the gift of the Holy Spirit upon us. It reminds me of the closing moments of a semester I had in seminary when one of my favorite professors, Bob Dykstra, had one last words of encouragement for us before we finished his class. I think it came out of a question. The class was the pastoral care of others. He was open in acknowledging 
what many of us were going to experience. That is, in being pastors and ministers, we're generalists. We're not necessarily experts in any one thing. We're like your general practitioner. We can see things and patterns. And more than anything, we're going to refer to those who are specialized in the kind of care that others need. But he shook his finger at us at the end of that class, and he said, you are more powerful than you realize. Do not forget, you have something to offer. Do not be afraid. His words have stuck with me. And I share them with you because in Christ Jesus, this is a true statement. We are more powerful than we may imagine. Consider the saints that I mentioned earlier. Individuals who our world would never in their right mind value. Minorities. Individuals in our culture and society that we do not lift up. They help change the world because they allowed the gift that God had given each of them to hit pay dirt in their willingness to serve. If you look closely, Paul talks about being strengthened because of God's presence in Christ Jesus in their lives and about the gifts that they are given. Listen for it. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that's been given to you in Christ Jesus for in every way, he tells them, every way you've been enriched in Jesus, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Each of us, even and especially those of us whose spiritual gift perhaps is laid dormant like an unknown gear in the vehicle that you drive. Each of us has been given a spiritual gift when we have said yes to Jesus. A gift not for ourselves, but for others. If you are wondering what your spiritual gift is, then that is an indictment on the church. For our job as the gathering in Christ's name should be to help others, one another, know and to identify what your spiritual gift is and put you in a place where you can exercise it. My hope is that this year, as we talk about discipleship, we can put you in a position where you can either better identify your spiritual gift or put you in a position where you stop ignoring your spiritual gift and you find yourself in a place where you can use it, not for yourself, but for others. A spiritual gift is not something that's best done in some kind of inventory you do online on the couch in your pajamas. No, our spiritual giftedness is best discerned and discovered and celebrated in community with the people in the pews around you, with the people that you sit with in Sunday school and in Bible study, the people that you choose to serve with, that's the best way to know the spiritual gift that you have been given. Our gifts have been given to us not for our own benefit or our vocational advancement. They've been given to us so that it will benefit others 
Imagine if the saintly people that you know, that we read about, that we celebrate, if they had used their gift for their own best interest. Imagine what their contribution would look like, if any. Paul says that our churches, our gatherings, are not lacking of any gift. And I have to tell you, I find this to be a surprising message. This idea that in whom God is called together, God has provided everything we need. In this room, in this space, at this time, for such a time as this, God has given us everything we need right now. Think about what you believe the church should be. Think about what you believe the church is called to do. Think about what God is calling our church to do. God has already given us the ability to do it. So what's stopping us? Us. We are the only limitation to God's work in the world. We are the reason why the church is not the church. That's part of the reason why the theme for this year here at our church is beyond belief, go make disciples. It's because we cannot allow belief in Jesus to be the end of our development as saints. We are called not to make believers, but to make disciples. And that begins, of course, with our maturation in the faith of recognizing that the entry-level positions we have relegated ourselves as believers is not acceptable and that we have not arrived and there is more that we are called to be and to do. When we become Jesus' disciples, we become set apart. It's not extracurricular. It's what happens when we are who God has called us to be in Jesus. And when we match our willingness to serve with the spiritual gift that God has given us, that's when God's work is maximized in our midst. Think about it. Going back to the image of snowfall. Snow doesn't become transformative if it doesn't stick. No one likes a good snowfall that doesn't collect and accumulate. Let's strive to be, of course, disciples of Jesus who both fall and stick and change the landscape. Yes, we're called to be everyday saints. An everyday saint is the student who befriends the Latino child at school who others mock and alienate. An everyday saint is the man who listens quietly to their co-worker when they share something about their lives that most churchgoers would damn and condemn, and then offers a word of blessing in an authentic way to them. 
An everyday saint is the woman who discovers in her retirement that her work in the classroom can translate into ministering to at-risk teenagers. An everyday saint is the person who grows discontent with the complaining and the bitterness they see online and chooses to find a way to help and to do something. An everyday saint finds places of connection with people who make their blood boil. An everyday saint gladly sacrifices his rights and privileges so that others can have it better. Yes, we are all called in Christ Jesus to be everyday saints. And here's the best part. Paul says that we are called to be everyday saints together. Together. Holding hands. Let us pray. God, thank you for giving us hands to hold so that as we strive to be what you've called us to be, we don't feel like we are going at it alone. Give us two things we boldly ask you, God, this day in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for a better awareness of our spiritual gift and a willingness to exercise it. And for many of us, let it begin this very moment with the decision to say yes to you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.